friends. I think that I accidentally lied to you. How's that for a beginning of a show? I think I accidentally lied to you. I didn't mean to, but I guess that's what accidentally means. I closed last show with these words. I'll see you next week. But you didn't see me next week. Do you know why? Because I forgot. (laughs) I didn't forget about you, and I didn't forget about the podcast. In fact, I was having so much fun with you on this podcast that I forgot that the holidays were imminent. So I've missed you, friends. I hope you had a joyous celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you had a joyous celebration welcoming in the new year. Welcome to 2024. And welcome back again to our adventure that we started a whole year ago. All right, not a whole year ago. That we started at the end of last summer, 2023, which was last year, to be fair. Welcome back again to our adventure together on Twice the Lutheran. I am Pastor Wells with two L's because I, like you, am Twice the Lutheran. Hey, when was the last time you shared the show If it's been a stretch, would you do me and us a favor? Find somebody to share the show with, even if the only reason to share it is to make fun of a stodgy old Lutheran pastor. I can put up with that, too. That's okay. But do please share the show. So happy to be back in it with you. I wonder what this year will hold for us. I anticipate the year ahead we will finish at some point, don't know when, that we will finish the catechism. Hopefully. Hopefully. I would also like at some point to incorporate a show or two of listener comments and listener questions, but I haven't received any. My friends, if you have comments or questions, can you please share them with me? I would love to have a whole show where we just work through the things that you're wondering about. And chances are, if you're wondering about it, somebody else is wondering about it. And if two or more of you are wondering about it, then there's a good chance that we should talk about it. So let me know. What are your questions? What are your comments? What are your concerns? Can be about anything on the podcast. Can also just be kind of generic comments. If you are willing to do that, please email me. If you don't want me to give you a shout-out online or on the show, then please say, Pastor Wells, leave my name out of it. But if you don't mind, I'd love to share your name with those who are listening. So do those two things for me. Share the show. And email me your questions, comments, concerns. Good enough? Good enough. 
Let's get back into the catechism. We have been on the Sixth Commandment now for, this is, I think, the fourth episode on the Sixth Commandment. So I think it's time we finish up this bad boy and move on into the Seventh Commandment. Let's review quick, because it's been so long since we've been together, the Sixth Commandment and the meaning. Here's what it says. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What? Does this mean? Good Lutheran question. We should fear and love God that we lead a pure and decent life in words and actions, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. We finished up last time with this point on page 87. Here's what it says. The Sixth Commandment forbids sexual immorality that includes sexual intercourse outside of marriage, incest, Rape, sexual abuse, obscene jokes, and the use of pornography. That's what we talked about last time. Then this uh, paragraph, if you will, from the Catechism, serving as a mirror, the Sixth Commandment shows that we are sinning by having lust in our hearts, by speaking coarse, demeaning, and suggestive words, and by taking delight, liking it. When these immoralities are the focus of our entertainment or the gossip that we hear, and boy, are they features of our entertainment and gossip, huh? You can't even get through a show nowadays without the obligatory sex scene, which are getting more and more twisted as the years go by. You can't get through the grocery store checkout line, whether self-checkout or otherwise, without seeing those cheesy tabloid whatevers that are always talking about who's sleeping with who and who's doing what with who and Brad Jelena and whatever. They haven't been a thing for forever. Hello. That tells you how, how much I read the gossip. I don't. Nor should you. Don't delight in those things. All right, here, let me ask you this provocative question because you can anticipate already how we're going to close out the Sixth Commandment. The, The Catechism has left this issue until the very end of the Sixth Commandment. We are talking, of course, about homosexuality and the Sixth Commandment. Let me ask you this provocative question. Are you ready? Which has caused more damage in society? Heterosexual divorce and infidelity or homosexuality? Which one has affected the lives of children and the next generation more? Heterosexual infidelity and divorce or homosexuality? I think that you know the answer. The generations have been touched by and affected by divorce far more than homosexuality. Now, we hear a lot more about homosexuality, and with that I'm including all of the kind of modern-day issues surrounding, um, how would you say, homosexuality, but that includes like all the gender confusion stuff that we have going on, uh, the, 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 the transvestite, the um, transsexual, all of that wrapped up into just this kind of LGBTQIA plus conversation. Okay, so that's all there. 
We hear a lot and a lot and a lot about it because so much of it is shocking. I'll grant you that compared to what we've heard in previous generations. So much of it, quite frankly, is new in the mainstream sense. It's been around, but it's new in the mainstream. Christians especially find this shocking because of the boldness with which these issues have been have been presented. We even call it Pride Month, which last I checked, Pride is one of those seven deadly sins, right? So pride is not a good thing. And certainly not this homosexual pride, not a good thing either. But if we heard as much about the damage of divorce and heterosexual infidelity as we did about homosexuality, I think that we would be tempted at least to be just as shocked as to what happens inside a family when divorce happens. I think that if we could see how deeply divorce affects especially children in a household, we would be lamenting and crying we would be shocked. So which has affected society more? Yep. You know it and I know it. The sins against the sixth commandment have mounted long before we ever encountered an issue in the public sphere of homosexuality. Why am I telling you that? Why am I why am I framing it that way? Because it's really easy to limit the sixth commandment to just this issue alone. And for those who don't fall into homosexual temptation, it's really easy for us to stand back and and throw stones while ignoring conveniently the damage that's been done already. When we frame it that way, you might find it easier to be patient, be loving in the proper way towards all who have fallen under this commandment when you see how you have fallen under this commandment. And the same is true when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. Can I make a provocative statement here? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you don't have to be angry about this. In fact, if you are only angry about the issues of homosexuality and you're not equally angry about divorce and infidelity, then you might kind of sort of be a hypocrite. Yeah. How's that one feel? Not so good. Not so good. So let's see what the commandment or what the catechism rather and the commandment too has to say about this issue of homosexuality. So what does God say about homosexuality? Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this reason God handed them over to disgraceful passions. Even their females exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones, and in the same way their males after abandoning natural sexual relations with females were consumed by their lust for one another. Males performed indecent acts with males and received in themselves the penalty that is fitting for their perversion. So what is Paul talking about when he says he, they received in themselves? Hold on, i got to find it here. I just turned the page. My bad. My bad, guys. 
Males performed indecent acts with males and received in themselves the penalty that is fitting for their perversion. I can tell you that many have seen in those words a reference to the STDs that come along, and not just with homosexuality. There are some very specific ones there, but with sexual immorality and promiscuity in general. I feel like we don't hear as much about that nowadays, by the way, as we used to. I just remember, I, I'm a public school guy, so I remember, I think, back in, in sixth grade when they start having those conversations in the most awkward ways possible, quite frankly, that I can remember being in sixth grade. Maybe there's no unawkward way to have that conversation. I don't know. But I remember hearing a lot back then about sexually transmitted diseases and things, and I just... Don't, you don't hear that out there anymore. They're still there. They're still prevalent. If you don't want them, then don't live a sexually promiscu- promiscuous life. Now, this, uh, this passage alone makes the issue very clear, doesn't it? Homosexuality is a sin. Period. Full stop. And so many people, especially with this verse, these verses from Romans, so many people have tried to soft pedal them and dance around the issue. I remember once there was a there was a Christian singer, and I don't remember was it Lauren something or other. I don't know. I'm not. I don't listen much to that kind of music. Um, she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, I think, and and I think Ellen had asked that question: Is homosexuality a sin? Oh man, and I'll, all I remember is she just whiffed on this. She's like, oh, "I you got to you got to read the Bible and you got to, you know, fit, you, she should have just answered. Can we be done with the age of pretense yet? <laughs> Can we be done dancing around these issues? Is anyone convinced that we have time to spend being unclear anymore? If we ever did? Just be clear. Yes, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. Where? Romans 1, 26 and 27. Now here's the pushback people will give. They'll say, hold on now, in those passages, Paul isn't condemning all forms of homosexuality, but only the homosexuality that's practiced by those who are heterosexual and these kind of abusive forms of homosexuality. That's what Paul's talking about, these twisted, abusive homosexual relationships. Okay, what's the answer? Yeah, you're twisting around Paul's words. Paul's very clear here what he's saying. Paul is not narrowing it down to just one form of homosexuality versus the other. Nope, he's lobbing them all together. You cannot, you can't show from these verses that he's narrowing his definition here. Others will say, well, well, the fulfillment of God's law is just love, and therefore loving homosexual couples, they're fulfilling God's law. They're not breaking it. Uh, no. Nope. That is twisting what God is saying here. Fulfilling God's law is doing what it says, right? And God is very clear here. God was very clear on this issue in the Old Testament. He's very clear on this issue in the New Testament. And he is immutable. He doesn't change. 
And then, of course, there's that old standby argument. Well, Paul, Paul wasn't as advanced as we are today. He's just sort of reflecting his culture and his Jewish upbringing. Uh, also incorrect. Now you're changing God's word, too. Paul is speaking to all people of all generation of all time. He is communicating to us the immutable will of God. Homosexuality was a sin in the Old Testament. It's still a sin in the New Testament. It's a sin all the time. Let's press on. Another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Remember, the sexually immoral, those are that's anybody who's deviating from the from the the ideal of the sexual relationship that Paul is presenting. I mean that God is presenting in the sixth commandment. Meaning sex inside a marriage between one man and one woman. Any deviation from that is sexual immorality, and those who indulge in it do not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the verbally abusive, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that seems pretty clear. That's a lot of groups of people. And we all belong somewhere in that list. Do you see the overwhelming need for a Savior? Do you see the largesse of Jesus Christ and what he brings? Forgiveness for all of those sins. Do you see the need for the power of the Holy Spirit to battle against all of that? That's a big list. Now, obviously, buried right in the middle of that list, nor males who have sex with males. Okay, well, that seems pretty clear. Pretty clear. as relates to the Sixth Commandment. All right, 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. The law is not laid down for a righteous person, but for lawless and rebellious people. That's our old Adam. For godless people and sinners, for unholy and worldly people, for those who kill their fathers and those who kill their mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral people, for homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is opposed to sound teaching. What is Paul saying? Against anybody who is living in any of those sins, contentedly, you swing the large two-by-four of God's law. Because God's law speaks against it. It does not console you in your sin. It does not, God does not, and his law does not put a stamp of approval on lifestyles that deviate from the Ten Commandments. That includes homosexuality. So the, the catechism tells us very clearly on page 87, God clearly states that homosexuality is a sin. So why do we treat it 
so special? Well, there's a couple of reasons why we focus especially on this sin. Number one is it's becoming very, very common. So it's not a surprise that you hear more and more about it because it's becoming so common in our culture. Number two, even even Paul would recognize that there's something unique here about sins against the Sixth Commandment. And the Bible says as much. It's not in the Catechism, but 1 Corinthians uh, what 6, uh, 18. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So there is something about these sins against the sixth commandment that affect you in a very deep and profound way because it's a sin you're committing intimately with your body. That's why you hear stories, and I would even say horror stories, about people who are sexually abused. And what do they say they, they want to do right away? I want to take a shower and try and scrub it off, but I can't scrub it off. No, you can't. Because this is a sin. Against your own body. And so it is with the sin of homosexuality. Why is it so difficult? I want you to remember that being tempted and falling to temptation are two very different things. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. And there really is no temptation that Christians are exempted from. Christians can be tempted by each and every sin. And so there are Christians, yes, who are tempted towards homosexuality. I know some of them. There are Christians who feel an attraction to those of their same sex and gender. Okay, those are the same things in our language that, we're, that the Bible talks. Sex and gender, same thing. That's not true, of course. Culturally, we we tend to distinguish between those, but the reality, the truth is they are the same thing. Sex and gender are the same thing. So there are some Christians who feel that temptation. That's not a sin to feel that temptation. In fact, when you do feel that temptation, flee to Christ. Flee to God. He will give you his strength to battle against that and every temptation. So in the midst of temptation, it's not you should not picture God as waiting in the wings to squash you the minute you give in. No, you should picture God as strengthening you to battle against temptation. As being a loving father who strengthens his child in the struggle. So yes, Christians can feel temptation even towards this sin. Now why is it so why is it so earmarked as this different kind of sin? Well, one, just like just like Paul said, all sexual sins are kind of in a different category. They're against your own body. But I want you to picture now a Christian who is struggling with same-sex attraction and feels no attraction towards the opposite sex, no heterosexual attraction. 
what are you telling that person when you say you cannot you cannot give into that temptation you are saying to them that this is going to be a great and grievous burden you must now live your entire life without what your flesh would consider a satiating sexual experience that is very difficult that is very difficult and so it does call for patience and understanding on the parts of Christians. Understand that those who feel same-sex attraction are now going to be carrying a heavy burden. Now, if that's you, if you're a listener and you are struggling with same-sex attraction, let me say this. Number one, you're not a problem to be fixed, okay? Okay. You may be tempted to think that this is something that can be solved, either medicated away or counseled away, or if I can just figure out the right thing to do, then I won't feel this same-sex attraction anymore. Now, in some cases, that might be true. In some cases, there may be just a whole lot of help and comfort for you in, in counseling and doing some things. But there may be a segment of you that will never have this temptation, this issue, this strong pull solved for you, at least in this life. It will be solved for you in heaven. And so number two, if it's not a problem to be solved, then what is it? Number two, it's a cross to bear. It is your cross to bear. Now you can find some comfort in having identified that, because for a lot of people, if we can identify what our cross is, then we can get busy carrying it. But if we're constantly trying to avoid it, if we're constantly trying to run away from it, and it doesn't go anywhere, then you are locked in a great dilemma. But if you identify what the cross is, you can get busy carrying it with the strength God himself gives you. Okay, Lord, this is who I am. Help me bear up under these temptations. Now, the same might be true in a different way for, let's say, those who are struggling with an addiction. If you're an alcoholic and have been an alcoholic for a long time and you feel that strong pull to drink, there's your cross. Because you know that drunkenness is a sin. The Bible is very clear on this. So you can't say, well, I, this is just natural for me. I'm naturally pulled in that direction. And so how could it be wrong if this is just how I'm wired? It is wrong. It is wrong to indulge in it. We are all wired for temptation. That's our sinful nature. But that fact does not give us the excuse and the reason to then indulge. It is a cross to bear. Whatever your, your specific temptation is, maybe you're tempted to anger. Maybe you're tempted to despair. Maybe you struggle with a victim mentality. Maybe you're tempted to homosexuality. Identify what it is and recognize they're not just problems to solve. They are crosses to bear. 
Not everything can be solved in this life. I know that's hard to hear because culture tells you if you can just find the right steps, if you can just find the right approach, if you can just find the right counselor or the right routine, then it becomes easy and you start solving your problems. We love that idea. We're such a pragmatic society. We want to be useful. But here's the real truth, my friends. Not everything will be solved in this life. It won't all always be easy. There are real crosses for us Christians to bear. My friend, see the reason for the word and the sacraments. You need God's strength. That's how he brings it to you, through word and sacrament. So this isn't just some nice, frilly little thing we do on Sundays, gathering together. No, this is a hospital. This is a gymnasium. I need to be healed because I've been wounded through my week. I need to be strengthened because there is real struggle for me in this world. To be twice the Lutheran. (laughs) Indulge in word and sacrament. You are a Christian. That means you have real crosses to bear and real temptation to face. And that doesn't just apply only to the Sixth Commandment, certainly to the Sixth Commandment. It applies, but it applies everywhere in our lives. Friends, bear your cross. Pick it up and carry it. And I know it's heavy. And I know it gives you slivers and splinters. But Christ asks you to. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And even as we do that, we bear in mind that that's what our Savior did. Exhausted, beaten, bloody, and weakened in his passion. And what does he have to do? Carry the cross. And he has to drag that cross up to Golgotha and be pinned to it. That last part, you never have to worry about. Because even though you are bearing a cross and dragging that heavy thing, you know that at the end of your journey is paradise because Jesus was pinned to his cross. You are not. You never have to worry about that because Jesus saw it all the way through to the end, went through punishment for sins he never committed. You will not go through punishment for sins you did commit. He was punished. He was pinned to his cross. You will not be. You will bear your cross in life. And you will become stronger and stronger by the help and grace of God underneath those temptations. And then you go home to paradise and it's not a problem anymore. Then the problem is solved. But not yet. All right, let's press on a little bit more. In what way does God help us? Page 87 of the Catechism, by the way. Here's the question. In what way does God help us appreciate the seriousness of sexual sins? Ah, here's the verse I just read to you. If I just would have glanced further down the page and remembered, 
Here it is. I already read this to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. There was a cost for your soul and your life. Therefore, the cost, by the way, was the blood of God. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Don't glorify yourself with your body. Don't glorify anybody else with your body. Glorify God. Use your body to bring him glory. Which is to say, use your body to serve him. So what should we do when the sixth commandment shows us our sins? Boy, you you would be able to answer this one in your sleep by now, you Lutherans. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Confess your sins. That's what repent means. Say what you've done to God. Repent. Feel bad about that because God will make you feel bad about that. And believe in the gospel. Two parts to repentance. Contrition, feeling bad for what I did. And the second part, faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. And then Matthew 3.18, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I like to call that the great knock it off. <laughs> you see what you've done. You feel terrible for what you've done. You see how Christ has forgiven you and taken it away. Now knock it off. Quit it. <laughs> Leave the sin behind. It took God dying to get you away from that sin. Don't go back to it. What good news? Question 76, page 88. What good news gives us the confidence that our sins against the sixth commandment are forgiven and helps us to do as God commands? Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That's Jesus. He knows our weakness. But one who has been tempted in every way. There's your proof that temptation is not a sin because Jesus was tempted. And what is the very next sentence here, the very next part of verse 4.15 of Hebrews? Just as we are tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. For you and me, naturally sinful people, it's like the temptation comes and the sin comes on its heels right away. Because remember, even if you don't fall into temptation with your hands, even though you didn't follow through with it, oftentimes you fall into temptation already in your mind. You've indulged in it in your mind. Jesus never crossed that line. That's what it means when he said, when it says he's never sinned in thought, word, and deed. Not only did he not do any sins, he never said anything sinful, and he never thought anything sinful. Perfect mastery. Not like you and me. He's been tempted like you have been. He knows what it is. But he didn't fall to it. And he is your high priest. A high priest, of course, in the Old Testament 
made those sacrifices. This one is the sacrifice. Pressing on. Let's finish this up. Home stretch. Yes. It is an amazing truth that God counted all of our sins against Jesus and that he counts Jesus' righteousness for us. As we consider this great truth, we want to obey God's commandments. So how does God's word serve as a guide as we want to honor God by keeping the sixth commandment? We've already answered that question, haven't we? (laughs) Of course we have. Let's see, we've got a bunch of passages here. I just want to pick out one for you. What's one way that you can now honor God in keeping this commandment? I'm going to pick out two passages. The first one here, Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual sin and wild living, not in strife and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not give any thought to satisfying the desires of your sinful flesh. This is radical. That is a radical new way to think. Rather than saying, how today can I satisfy my sinful flesh? Boy, how today can I satisfy my sexual urges? How today can I overeat or overdrink? What does it say? Don't give any thought to that. Don't give any thought to that. Instead, clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this phrase. Let us walk decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. That maybe harkens back to a time when we did walk more decently in the daytime because I see a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of indecent stuff even in the daytime, but you understand what the point is that Paul is making, that God is telling you. Those who party, when do they party? At night. Those who drink too much, nighttime. Those who are getting into trouble sexually, usually at night. Don't do that. Walk as in the daytime. Get Dress, look decent, look appropriate. Carry yourself in that way. This is the picture of you walking down the sidewalk being put together. That should be your moral life too. I've met people who in their 30s and 40s are acting like scared little children hiding from their parents. You think, why? (laughs) And then I remember the wicked flee when no one's pursuing Because there's a lot of things that people are doing in their private life that they're not willing to be open and honest with. I'm not saying you've got to air out everything, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, condoning airing out your dirty laundry. But I'm saying if there are these aspects of your life that you know are shameful and sinful and you're trying to hide them from everybody else, the question is, are you really actually trying to hide them from God? Because that's impossible. And so some people, because they are, they walk around with this guilty conscience, always afraid that they're going to get caught, even if no one's actually looking. There's this underlying sense of fear. I'm going to get caught. Well, why don't you identify the thing in your life that is making you fearful and afraid of getting caught and holding you back, and rather than continuing to guard it and guide it and keep it, repent of it. Confess it to God, and then, you guessed it, 
Knock it off. (laughs) Confess it. See it forgiven in Jesus Christ and be freed from it. That's the beautiful part. You can be freed from it. And yes, there is freedom in bearing your cross. I know that sounds opposite. I know that sounds contradictory. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Rose, you just said the problems don't get solved and I have to bear the cross. Yep, and I'm saying there's freedom in that. Because that sin no longer controls you. Yes, you have to bear it. And yes, some of the sins are in your rearview mirror, but not that far in your rearview mirror. I get that. But there is freedom there. Freedom in identifying the shape, the size, the weight of the thing. And then picking it up and saying, I know I'll never be free of this, but I find freedom in bearing it because my God helps me to do so. And this sin does not control me. Satan is powerless in that case. Now, here's some practical advice for you from Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. Replace your dirty thoughts with these things. Replace your dirty thoughts with with whatever is pure and right and lovely. Replace your dirty actions and lifestyle with whatever is commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Put them in your mind. And that seems and sounds and is a difficult task. In fact, it's so difficult, you will spend the rest of your life doing that, and I will be there right along with you. I will bear that with you. This is part of our journey in the faith together in becoming Christian men and women, mature Christian men and women. We master our thoughts. That's not to say the bad thoughts don't come into our minds. They do, but we immediately lasso them. We wrangle them. We capture them, and then we replace them. No, God doesn't want me thinking that way. How should I think instead? There's a valuable exercise. Everybody hates me and I'm no good. I'm not worth nothing. Nope. God doesn't want you thinking that way. How do you know? He died for you. That's how valuable you are. So lasso that thought, wrangle it, and replace it with the truth. I just feel not loved. But that's not the truth. You get to override your emotion in that case. I feel improper. That is an improper feeling to have. My feeling is wrong. There's something countercultural for you, huh? (laughs) You have the wrong feeling sometimes. And so you lasso it. You capture it. And you replace it with the truth. It sounds easy, but it ain't. And maybe you're going to ask that practical question. Well, Pastor Wells, how do I know it is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent and praiseworthy? You already know what I'm going to tell you. You find it in God's Word. (laughs) 
<laughs> you find it right here along with me as we're studying the Ten Commandments. We're talking about those things that are praiseworthy and honorable and lovely, and we're replacing them. All right, I don't want to lose sight of this kind of hot-button issue that we're going to wrap up on, this homosexuality, because here's the very practical question. Then. How do I, as a Christian, react to and interact with those who are homosexual? And when I say homosexual, I'm not saying just those that are tempted by homosexual attraction. I'm saying those who are living actively the lifestyle. In contrast, in contra to God's word, so how do I react to and interact with? Boy, that's a good question. I'm working on that myself. Here's what I can tell you: You don't have to be angry. That would be improper. You don't have to be violent. That would be improper. God forbids that. You don't have to, and you better not be doing anything that would convey that this is a lifestyle that is okay in God's eyes. But at the same time, does that have to be the first and only thing that ever is brought up in a conversation with somebody who's in that lifestyle? No, probably not. Probably not. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that I've got this all just figured out and I know exactly how to have these conversations. I don't. But here's what I can tell you. Have conversations with them. They have to live a life too, right? You can be neighbors with them, right? You can be pleasant towards them, but you can do all of that while witnessing to the truth, right? You don't have to hide who you are and what God says, but you don't have to go on the attack either, screaming and yelling and condemning and whatever. Have a one-on-one conversation. That's what I'm saying finally. Testify to the truth. And in all things, what are you trying to do for them? You're trying to do for them what's been done for you. Lead them to the cross. Let them see on the cross the blood of God shed for the forgiveness of sins, even theirs. Is that good enough? I, I to say too, to say any more would be to say too much because finally no one can script those conversations for you. You're going to have to be bold and loving. You're going to have to be patient but firm. But here's what I can say, you don't have to apologize. You should never apologize. The world does not apologize to you when shoving sin in your face. And boy, do they like doing that, huh? So never apologize for being Christian. Never apologize for being Lutheran. And certainly never apologize for being twice the Lutheran. In fact, keep on keeping on. You Lutherans, you committed beautiful people. I am so happy to be back with you. I'm also kind of happy to be done with the Sixth Commandment. I promise I won't leave you again for that long. This time I won't lie. Come back again and see me next week.